Welcome to Simplify. I'm Caitlin Schiller. This is the part where Ben would say, and I'm Ben Schumann Stoller, but today it's just you and me. Right before Ben and I were set to record, he was called away on parent duty. His kid's sick. These things happen. And, you know, it's a pretty grown up adult thing to have to do leave work, go get your, your mucusy child <laughs> and take them home to care for them. But um, it's part of being an adult for a lot of people anyway. And that, dear listeners, that's my segue into what we're going to talk about today, which is the idea of being a grown-up. Today, you're going to hear about what it means to be an adult. Like, what does that actually mean beyond, you know, paying taxes and making your own doctor's appointments and, I don't know, all the trappings that come with adulthood, property ownership. I could go on, but I won't. You get the picture. What is the ephemeral, personal evolution kind of stuff that makes a person an adult, no matter if they're 21 or 65? Well, there is somebody who has some ideas about that. Her name is Julie Lithcott-Hames. She's a former dean of freshmen and undergrad advising at Stanford and a best-selling author. I spoke to her a couple of months ago, actually, about her book called Your Turn, and I loved this conversation. It was so warm and real and gentle, and I think about it a lot, actually. So Julie wrote this book because you know, we're out here wondering, what does it mean to be an adult? And how do we know we're doing a good job? How do we know if we're doing a bad job, right? And what should we set our sights on to be doing better? Because while there used to be a checklist for what it meant to be an adult, you know, graduate, go to college, get married, have kids. Today, in the year 2023, being an adult is about something else now. And in this interview, we explore exactly what that something else is. So this is the part where Ben usually says, all right, Caitlin, what should people listen for? And I'll just go ahead and say <laughs> that you should listen for some really good questions that you can ask yourself in this interview. I think that my favorite one is, who am I becoming? Which I think is such a cool reflection question. It implies, you know, maybe how you've been, quote, being an adult up until now, and that it's appropriate to set goals to be something different, something a little better, something a little to the left or the right, or up or down from where you've been. All right, before we get into the interview, one more thing. We have a survey. We have a Simplify listener survey. We have been making this show pretty much the same way since 2017. And while I love doing it this way, we would love to know what you want from Simplify. What would you like more of? What would you like less of? How can we make this podcast the absolute most helpful for you that it can be? Which authors do you want to hear from? What topics should we cover? You can let me and Ben and Audie know. You just have to go to the link that's in the show notes and fill out the survey. And it's a quick survey. It says it'll take you six minutes. That is an absolute technological lie. If it takes you more than three minutes, I would be shocked. It'll help us a lot. It's not a lot of time. So please go fill out the survey. Now, without any further ado, here is Julie Lithcott-Hames talking about her book, Your Turn. Hi, Julie. Thanks so much for taking the time today. I'd just like to ask you to introduce yourself the way that you like to be introduced. Well, Caitlin, it's an honor to be on Simplify. Thank you so much for having me. Um, the way I like to introduce myself is I'm a human who roots for humans. Um, 
And my work is all in furtherance of trying to help us thrive. I work at really the one-on-one human level. I am more interested in holding somebody's hand than in being a part of a solution that helps a million. I mean, I'd love to help a million, but I think my talent or my work, my ability lies at the level of the individual. Oh, I love that. A human who roots for humans. It makes me think of, and what you just said about holding one person's hand, it makes me think of the the Ram Das quote that you have at the end of the book, which yeah. I love so much. It's it's something yeah. to the effect of, we're all just here to walk each other home. Correct. Absolutely. And I get more and more clear on that every day. I'm 53 years old, and that truth is just in the air all around me now. I see it everywhere. And I just think it's the most beautiful quote. Mm. You know, this wasn't at all planned, and I didn't think that we'd start by talking about this quote, but what does it mean to do that to you? Well, uh, so the quote is, we're all just walking each other home by Ram Dass, as you've said. And, you know, you walk someone home to be kind. You walk with them to ensure their safety. Um, There's a sense of, I care about you. I'm going to look after you. Um, But the notion that we're all walking each other home uh, is implicitly about reciprocity. So I walk you home and you walk me home. And and I said to my husband one day, as I was writing this book and including this quote, I was like, it's such a beautiful quote. Too bad it's not literal because we can't actually walk each other home because if I walk you home, then you're at home. You Then you're, you're not at home when you turn around <laughs> to walk me home. And, and my husband, Dan, my partner, who's so wise and such an old soul in so many ways best thing that ever happened to me in this in this life I've led we've been together 33 years he looked at me with this wry gentle smile and he said the walk is home the act of walking is to be home with one another god that guy's good he is good (laughs) (laughs) he's very good yeah all right so then let's start off with your book when I heard about your turn, which is your yeah. new book, yeah, um, and I heard that it was about how to be an adult, I thought, cool, this should be this should be light. I know most of this <laughs> stuff already. This is going to be a quick read. And then I opened the PDF I got for review and discovered, oh, this is not a small book. This is 450 pages or so. Yeah. And then I kind of chuckled to myself and thought, that actually mirrors the practice of thinking about adulting versus actually yeah. doing it. You think, I got Perfect. this. I have the basic gist of this. And mm-hmm. and then you get into fending for yourself and you find, mm-hmm. my God, this is much more of an undertaking than I thought it would be. <laughs> I love that, Caitlin. You've actually, you've hit the nail on the head. Um, I couldn't TLDR it, right? I couldn't write a 100-page book on adulting because adulting is a vast set of decades, we hope, in which we hope we are well and able and living our best life and figuring out what that means, right? So this is not a book of tips. This is a book that aims to hold you by the hand, or if I'm not holding your hand, I'm next to you, I'm near you, caring and trying to point out the various things I know based on the fact that I've lived 53 years, I know a bit about the pitfalls. I know a bit about the wonder and joy that you should not overlook. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to, I think the book, to use a different metaphor, holds up a mirror to the reader, whether they're your age or 18 or 56 or 70. Mm-hmm. The book is available to the reader as a mirror and the reader sees themselves in it where they will. And we'll just blow right through the parts they don't need. And I think that the book overall can be seen conceptually as treating kind of three different arenas. There's there's self-care, 
that's mind and body and character. There's work and purpose. And then there's caring for the world outside of yourself. So that's other people too. And there's no way that we'll get every single chapter in the book, but we can definitely talk about some of those general areas today. Um, and I, I guess we'll start off in a really easy, maybe expected way in that you say that 20th century psychologists developed these markers of adulthood. And it was finish your education, get a job, leave home, marry, and have children. And that is an incredibly straight, heteronormative, and I don't mean straight as in sexuality yeah. and orientation. I just mean it's very simple and pat um, yeah. way to, to look at it. And those aren't really relevant anymore. If you were to update those five mm. and choose only five, what, mm. Are, mm. what are your markers of adulthood? Well, I will say just to the point of the word straight, I think it, it is both straight and pat, but it is also straight and heteronormative. Um, I think my list would be, I mean, the only thing that pertains today, in my view, from that list, I can say without hesitating is get a job. But I would expand it to you got to support yourself somehow. You've got mm. to know that it's on you uh, to do the necessary things to be able to procure shelter and food and, and the the belongings you feel you need, right? It's that's mm -hmm. the basics of adulting is it's on you, not it's not to say you have to go it alone and that you're a nomad, a hermit, and nobody cares about you, but simply that you wake each day knowing in your spirit without even having to think about it. Like, yeah, I've got to take care of business, my my belongings, my body, my bills. But we can do that in a co-op sense. We can barter. We can live in community with people where everybody's contributing something and we all benefit because we participate in the whole. Like, I'm not sitting here sort of upholding capitalism like you are this you your worth as a human is a function of the work that you do i'm not adhering to that mindset um at all so i think get a job i expand it more broadly to say support yourself somehow and this is asterisk assuming you don't have a significant uh disability of some kind that requires you to be largely cared for by somebody else which you know which happens to people of course and that doesn't mean they're any less adult but assuming you do have the physical and mental cognitive capacity, you ought to be supporting yourself or, you know, figuring that out. Beyond that, there's tremendous choice. There is some privilege inherent in what I'm saying. I realize for folks who grow up poor, who grow up uh, lower working class, um, there may not seem to be that much choice. But I'm also here to say with a mentor, with a you know, a decent education that you can access in this country at a community college, um, which is affordable, you can jumpstart the life you're looking to have. I do believe that is accessible to almost all of us. So there's tremendous choice about what to do for work. There's tremendous choice about the identities you are going to carry forward. We are in an era, in a century where you can know yourself and love yourself with the identities you carry. There is far greater acceptance around the various identities considered to be marginal or considered to be the other or um, not normal, air quotes. We are in the process of validating the normality of us all around our sexual orientation, around our gender, around our race, around our mental health status. And so I think the fact that there is so much choice around where to work and where to live and with whom to be in relationship, I think that's contributing to the confusion and fear that so many young adults have. It's like, you know what, maybe it was easier when there was a pat lockstep mm. list of five things. Yeah. And I'm here to say, yeah, 
but with a little guidance, a lot of introspection, the willingness to try and fail and not see that as somehow, you know, I'm not worthy, but instead I'm a human and I'm growing to know myself in this world better every day. I think that's adulting. You also, in this section, pose a really wonderful question, which is, who am I becoming? And you say that it's a a valuable way to keep ourselves in check, set intentions for character growth, and not let our success or station in life make us complacent. And I really, really love this question, and I'm sure it's one that you've asked yourself. So could I ask you, because this is a, this is kind of a big, scary question. And, and if you just ask someone to ask this of themselves, it's kind of like, well, how do I, I don't, I don't know, how do I answer that? But as kind of a model for how it, how an answer to this question might sound, who are you becoming now? Yeah. So let me make clear when I ask this of people that I would add, and I don't mean who are you becoming by way of the job you want next, the title, the promotion you hope to have, the salary you're you're longing for. I really mean within yourself, your internal self as a human, who are you becoming? And it's more about character and characteristics and traits mm-hmm. and abilities. And so I would say to you, um, Caitlin, that I am becoming more gracious. I am getting better at giving people the benefit of the doubt. I am becoming somebody who is more aware of my insecurities and the things that animate my deep anger and my unbridled enthusiasm. I'm becoming aware of what triggers me so that I can love myself through those triggers. And then be more in charge of how I speak and what my behaviors are and my decisions and becoming more at ease within myself, uh, becoming an easier person to be around, I think, as a result. Um, Mm. So that's part of my why I'm doing it. You know, I'd like to be a human. All humans feel safe around. And, And at times I am that human. I'm told I am that human. And I know at times that I have a very aggressive type A lawyer, litigator, personality, and I'm big and loud, <laughs> blah, blah, blah. and that's yeah. good. That has its purpose. I want to be better at bringing that self when that self is what's useful in the situation. And I want to be better at, you know, uh, being um, a little bit more at ease. Um, so that's that's what I'm. That's who I'm becoming. And that mm-hmm. those, you know, implicit that the answer, uh, that's the answer to the question, what am I working on? I'm also an extrovert, as you can tell, and working at simply shutting up and giving space. And um, uh, that's a that's a challenge for those of us who find it easy to fill the silence. But I'm working at it. I'm one of those extroverts who's working at it. And I say this out loud because I'd like to invite other extroverts who are listening and are like, well, I might have a little bit of an issue with that. Please know that's how we are. That's who we are. But we really do need to make space. We need to take a fraction. We need to say like, there are two of us here. I get half the airtime. There are 10 of us here. I get one-tenth the airtime. Just do the math. Look at the fraction that should be a portion to you. I'm deeply interested in working on that. And I'm trying to demonstrate to the folks who are in my community, like, look, this learning, this growth is available to all of us. We all have stuff we're working on. Bigger picture, I aim to learn and grow until I take my last breath. You know, I'm not a plastic plant in the corner that is evergreen with a little plastic sheen. I am an actual Mm. living plant. I am a living thing. And I need to grow or else I will wilt 
And I, you know, I'm not just here to sit here. None of us are, are these potted plants. And so I believe that I am here and you are here and every listener is here to learn and grow until we take our last breath. I think learning and growing is the name of the game in this human journey, not I've made it, I'm famous, I'm rich, I'm well-known, I've left a legacy. I think the learning and growth is the point. And I think many of us are not aware of that when we're young. We think it's about the checklist. I got this, I did this, I am that, all right. Now the real work begins. The work of figuring your shit out and being a person with whom others can feel at ease. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I, I heard in what you just shared with me that a great goal is to become a safe person for others. Yeah. And that seems like a really, a really huge adult goal, even if you're not a person who's going to raise children, which I think requires some awareness of needing to be a safe place. Becoming a safe place for each other seems like a really important adult goal. It's a beautiful adult goal. And this book has been out for six months and nobody has ever asked me the question that got me to that answer. So thank you, Caitlin. Oh, I'm so glad to have done that. My favorite thing about these interviews is when we can discover something together. Yeah. Yeah. Well, here's here's the thing. You're really interested. And I remember reading in the book and then also I think seeing in your Google talk that you are a big advocate of listening to your voice, of being true to you, of, of sort of dropping into what that means. And one of the questions that I got from people in, in my organization at Blinkist when I said I was talking to you today really made me think of your chapter on getting unstuck. And mm. my colleague asked, okay, so how do I differentiate between what I actually want versus what I've been taught to want? Um, and that made me think about your chapter on getting unstuck. Are there are there any recommendations in there that you, that you would that you would give to people who are trying to make a decision, maybe, and thinking, is this me or is this programming? Yeah, this is really the hinge of the book. I think the getting mm -hmm. unstuck chapter is the middle. The one that precedes it is stop pleasing others. They have no idea who you are. So these <laughs> yeah. chapters really go together. And. But to your colleague's point, well, how do I know if I'm pleasing others or, you know, if I'm actually doing this because I want to? And the only answer to that, the source of the answer to that question is within each individual. Mm -hmm. Okay. Um, so what you have to do is prepare a space and a place and a time moments where you can access your more inner thoughts. And so... Um, I would recommend things like, if you're a runner, go for a run without music in your ears mm -hmm. um, and just have a conversation with yourself or stand under a shower of whatever temperature suits you and have the water pound on your head and don't listen to a podcast simultaneously. If you're a multitasker <laughs> yeah. like I am, like, no, 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 you're trying to just be alone with yourself and let yourself speak. Or you go with a journal, you know, to a quiet place where you'll be uninterrupted or you go on a walk in nature. Um, okay, you're trying to be quiet with yourself and prepare that space um, in which a successful, loving, kind, clear conversation with yourself can happen. And then you say to yourself, all right, so what do I actually want? What, what I might do this, you know, what have I been taught to want? I might ask myself that. And let the answers come. Oh, I've been taught to want this, that, and the other. I've been taught to value money, prestige. I've been taught to value medicine. I've been taught to, you know, what I don't know what it is, but right. Mm -hmm. What have you been taught? I've been taught to be a good person. Great. Whatever, whatever, what have I been taught? And then I would ask myself, okay, and what do I want? What would I do if it was just up to me? 
it may be that there's a complete synergy of those two lists. Great. What you've been taught is actually what you want. Okay. But it may be that there isn't synergy. And if you really push on the question, but, but, but what, what if it was just up to me? Let's just pretend it was only up to me. Nobody would judge. No wrong answers. Okay. You're looking for data. You're looking for clues from yourself about the answer to that question. Mm -hmm. Asking yourself, what have I been taught? Making that list first seems really, really helpful because mm -hmm. it's sometimes more, I think actually always more easily easy to grasp than what do I want? That's a right. really good prep question. I'd never thought about that before. Yeah. So asking yourself what you want is one thing, but another thing that you included in, I think it's the caring about yourself section. Um, you included asking for help in the caring yeah. for self section, which I thought was a really nice place to put it. And asking for what you need is is a superpower, but it's it's hard <laughs> one for a lot of people. Yeah. Um, I'm definitely still learning this one. I've gotten better at it over the over the years, but it's still a struggle. And you say in the book, and this is heartening to me too, that that you're just getting better at it in your 40s and 50s. And and yeah. how have you how have you done that? How has how has life given you opportunities to get better at it? Therapy. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, therapy. Bless therapy. Therapy. Bless therapy. I think it is the growth industry of the 21st century, or should Seriously. be. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's just say that and validate all the people who do the work of listening to others um, mm. and being there to care and, and elicit from them what they need to hear. Okay. So, um, yes. boy, my mother would hate to hear this. Thank goodness she doesn't listen to podcasts. Um, but she did read it in my <laughs> book. I, I was raised by a stiff upper lip British mother. And a very, very absent but loving, absent because he worked a lot, but loving mm -hmm. father, but wasn't around very much. My feelings were not really acceptable. I was sort of told to just, you know, like, keep calm and carry on kind of thing. And yeah. um, I have unpacked that as an adult. I, I wasn't that aware of it all. I'm just, you know, I'm now able to say like, wow. My feelings were not super validated when I was young. I learned to keep them inside. I might not get the response I need if I if I share them. So I became very passive about my needs. I would sort of try to imply what I wanted without actually asking because I didn't mm -hmm. want the rejection. Ooh, this is okay. so uncomfortably familiar. Oh, yes, Caitlin. Yeah, and why am I much. sharing this, right? You get it. <laughs> Other people get it, right? And we uh -huh. can feel a lot of shame around that, like particularly when we're highly educated and we are um, comfortable financially and so it looks like we've made it and we have our shit together. And like for me to admit something like this, like I have trouble asking for what I need, um, it sort of feels like a big failing. And I'm admitting it because I know that by sharing it, I might help somebody, maybe even you, feel less alone and less ashamed of that truth. Look, a lot of us are that way. So then I become this person who's a pain in the ass when I'm trying to imply what I need and you don't do what I need, and then I get bitchy. <laughs> we have to be able to speak our truth clearly without all of the emotional, blah, 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 but just like, hey, this is what's going on for me. Um, and uh, it clears the channel. It clears all the communication channels. I mean, it's not literally that simple, but we get better and better at it the more we practice it. So um, being able to be clear on who we are, what we need, what's going on for us is how we can be a person others feel ease around and we feel such ease within ourselves. Um, I, I loved that you included a section in this book about talking to strangers. 
And I think it's a thing that as an adult, you kind of stop doing because you have your people, these other people around you, you know, the janitor, the barista, they're just people you kind of see, but they don't necessarily matter to you, but they really do matter. And there's a really cool term for it. It's consequential strangers. And you've written, our intimates anchor us at home, but our consequential strangers make us feel grounded in the world. Can you talk a little bit about why an important part of being an adult is is noticing and caring for consequential strangers? Yeah, absolutely. So just think about um, if your regular barista, a person you're accustomed to handing you your morning drink isn't there one day, you're sort of like, oh, where's so-and-so? That's when you realize this person kind of matters to me. I like the fact that they know my order. I like the fact that they know my name or they always, right? And um, we don't necessarily appreciate um, how much they are a dominant thread in the fabric of our lives. You know, the janitor who's always there on the morning shift when we arrive at work. And um, they they help anchor us in place. We are a very social species. Um, human connection is everything. And um, although we may not be breaking bread with them, they are a part of our community. And when we are in a position of greater power vis-a-vis them, we are the customer, they are the server, we are the person walking the halls that they clean. It is incumbent upon us to notice them as a human being and not as simply a person providing a service to others. And in so doing, we are treating them with dignity and kindness, which is what we're supposed to be doing to everybody, right? And then by recognizing them and saying, thank you so much for being here. I appreciate you. Look them in the eye and say that you will make that person's day you will feel better and everybody who watched that interaction will also feel better because they will see kindness um, in operation and that foments more kindness. Um, so this is, you know, this is a, a smile. There's research that I cite in this book that says you walk past a stranger, they make eye contact and a slight smile at you. And then you're asked 10 steps later, how are you feeling today? You are more likely to be feeling good if that stranger smiled at you. Than if that stranger um, just stared through you and yeah. um, or didn't look at you at all. And so we matter our, you know, how we simply regard one another. It's like saying it is literally I see you. I see you and that helps you and it helps them. Um, and it is how we demonstrate our humanness, that we are not robots, Caitlin, that we are not automatons, that we are not here to just go through the motions. These seemingly minimal Unimportant human interactions are everything. Mm -hmm. And if a generation's been raised, don't talk to strangers, as millennial, many millennials were, and Gen Z, they may not know how to, you know, strike up a casual, kind conversation with somebody they don't know. They may have been taught, don't do it, it's wrong, it's creepy. Like, no, 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 we have to totally break that cycle. Right, because we humans need one another, and and it's hard to elicit help from others if we can't even look them in the eye, and it's hard to be of use to others when we can't even say like, hey, hey, I, you know, let me help you with that, or are you okay, or thank you so much. We have to get better, more adept at uh, these these small moments with humans, because it's the small moments that enable us to lean in and lean in more, and so on when when more is asked of us. Yeah, and it just struck me that. Showing that we're humans and showing that we see each other, that is that is a huge way that we reveal ourselves as being safe. Um, because, you know, like, I don't know, when you're driving, if you can tell that another driver is not paying attention 
and does not notice you and does not see you, that person is not physically safe for you. Yeah. Um, and just, you know, in the game of being a human, not driving a car, showing that we see someone else and we see their condition, we see where they're trying to go and where they are in space and in themselves. That's yeah. a way to say, I am safe. Yeah. And also yeah. throw your hand up with thanks when someone lets you in. Mm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Julie, there's one more thing that I wanted to ask you. If there were one thing that you would want everyone listening now to know about being an adult in the world, what would that be? This moment has been the latest reminder that much of life is chaotic and most things are out of our control. And that can feel daunting. But I want everyone listening to know that what you can be in control of or in charge of is a better word if you work hard at it, is yourself. You get to decide every day, how do I want to show up today in the workplace, in the lives of people I know and love? How do I want to conduct myself to make things better? You have that power. And I, I've written this book to try to help you really harness that power and be that person. Wonderful. Cool. And then have you read anything recently that you've loved and you would want to recommend? Oh my gosh, yes. I am reading Bell Hooks's memoir, oh, Mem so Bone good. Black, Memories of Girlhood. Mm. And what I'm struck by, Caitlin, are the synergies between what she is saying, Bell Hooks, in this book she wrote in, I'm looking for the copyright page, in uh, uh, 1996, okay? Mm -hmm. I, am li I am not, I'm literally, and I mean that... Uh, Literally, I'm literally writing something right now that I will publish this week that has me quoting bell hooks because what she has said in this book from 1996 is precisely what's on my mind right now. Oh, man. And so I'm loving that. I love when I read something. It's, it's about um, it's this beautiful quote about um, when we say profound things as children, the grownups think we just don't know what we're talking about, but we, the children, know precisely what we mean. It is ac she's accessing the wisdom that children have and um, which I very much believe and tap into. And um, so, yeah, I, I highly recommend Bone Black Memories of Girlhood by Bell Hooks, um, a beautiful, um, stark, raw memoir um, of her childhood um, as a young black kid. Amazing. That's a that's a great recommendation. She was kind of a prophet. Her and Octavia yeah. Butler. Yes. They uh they saw things. <laughs> they sure did. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Julie Lithcott Hames, thank you so much for taking the time today. Thank you for your work. Thank you for the book. And thanks for, for talking with me today. Caitlin, thank you. And I want to thank everyone who listened. You know, whomever is still here now chose to spend a good amount of uh, their day with us. And I am grateful for that and hope that you heard what you needed to hear and that anything that came up for you as, as I was speaking, as Caitlin was speaking, notice that whatever stirred within you as we spoke, that's a clue from you about something you might want to pay more attention to. Welcome to the bookend where we end with books. But first let's recap this interview a little bit. So I think the thing that I love most about this interview is the idea of becoming a safe place for one another. So much of the work that we're doing here as humans, so many of the important undertakings that 
are out there for us involve creating a space for another person that is safe enough and open enough and warm enough for them to be at their best so that we can achieve the most together. So I think that becoming a safe place for one another is one of the most noble, beautiful goals that we could have as adults. But the thing that I think about all the time from this interview and what I believe ultimately the whole book is saying is that being an adult comes down to one thing, and that is choice. We've got so much autonomy. It's up to us to decide every day how we show up, how we love, whom we love, what really matters to us. And yeah, that can be daunting, but isn't it also kind of great? Being an adult is essentially... I don't know, mindfully wielding your power to choose and taking on all that power and responsibility in a, a self-aware way. That's it. That's being an adult, taking care of your side of the street, your half of any relationship, your part of the puzzle thoughtfully. So I'm going to just jump straight to the books now. And I really want to plug one of my absolute favorite books that I have plugged at least once before in Simplify's History. Um, I found myself recommending this book just the other day, and honestly, it happens a couple times a year. So if you have not yet read it, go out and read it on Blinkist and then get the whole thing. It's called A General Theory of Love. It's by Faryamini, Thomas Lewis, Richard Lannan, and Thomas B. Lewis. It's a book about the science of human emotions and the biological psychiatry of love, really. And uh, and talking with Julie Lithcott-Hames about becoming a safe place for one another made me think about my absolute favorite ever psychology concept, which is limbic resonance. Limbic resonance is this idea that mammals who are in close contact with one another and intimate relationships, you know, that could be anything from uh, a, a parent-child relationship to a romantic relationship to a really close friendship, I would even wager to say really close co-workers, we are constantly revising one another by just how our nervous systems are interacting and the ways that we treat one another, which I think is so powerful. So Limbic Resonance, it's very cool. Check it out. Learn more about it. Um, it's in this book, A General Theory of Love. I recommend this book more than any other one, I think. Um, yeah. So another book that I would recommend, and this is also on the topic of becoming an adult, I think a huge part of being an adult is understanding where you came from. And uh, it's called Adult Children of Emotionally Immature Parents. It's by Lindsay C. Gibson. And in order to be a safe grown-up for one another and for kids, I think it's a great idea to know what a non-safe adult looks like. I read this book and experienced it like a simultaneous epiphany and a punch in the face. <laughs> it was really affirming and really instructive for me in understanding myself, my family's dynamics, and and the generational stuff that um, that you know impacts and encumbers us all and makes us who we are. It really helped me understand the kind of person that I do not want to be, so I can better define the kind of person I do want to be when I am pondering that for myself. I cannot recommend it enough, but I will say you got to be ready for it. And you might have to be ready to not be able to speak to your family for a little while after you read it. <laughs> um, yeah. And Ben wanted to recommend a guide, which is a format in Blinkist where experts and authors walk you through books and podcasts and article recommendations. 
and provide tools and reflections so that you can apply whatever you heard. And he very kindly wanted to recommend the guide that I did, which is called Finding and Nurturing Adult Friendships, which I think I'm pretty good at. Feel free if you are a friend of mine to write me and let me know if that's not true, but I think it might be. Um, I recommend the rolling friend date. That is my my tool in there. It's very simple, but it's a great way to stay in touch with people you love. And uh, Ben wanted me to shout out The Art of Gathering by Priya Parker. She's been trained in conflict resolution and she's a facilitator, but this book, The Art of Gathering, is about how we humans meet each other, how we gather, and what makes a good gathering. There are great little bits in there, like why excluding people is critical when you're having any kind of gathering from a meeting to a party. Uh, It's a bit counterintuitive, but it is really very cool. I also love this book. So um, you can check out my guide in the Blinkist app and Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering, also in the Blinkist app. All right, my fellow adults, that's it for today. Ooh, do you hear the rain outside? We are, by the way, we're in my bedroom studio. I'm talking to you from the floor and my closet, (laughs) like a good podcaster should. Okay. If you hear the raindrops or you heard my cat walk by a few times, I hope that that was just a nice crunchy little tidbit of atmospheric sound. Please don't forget to fill out that survey. It really, really matters to us. It'll help us make this show the best it can be for you. So it will be at the link in the show notes. You can also find it on Blinkist's Instagram, which is just at Blinkist. And that'll take me right into the outro. Simplify is produced by me, Caitlin Schiller, Ben Schumann-Stoller, and Adi Constantino. You can find me at at Caitlin Schiller on Twitter, at Seashills on Instagram. You can find Ben at at Bisto on Twitter and pretty much everywhere else, I think. Uh, You can follow Blinkist at at Blinkist. There will be some cool tidbits relating to Simplify up there soon. And I guess that is about it. Until next time, this is Caitlin from the Bedroom Studio. Checking out.